My controller comes in quietly and very carefully shuts the door and comes up to my desk and she's like, so not great news. I'm like, okay, you know, we've had a, we've had a lot of body blows in the first two weeks here. You know, we just have to embrace it, lean into it. What is it? And she's like, we're not going to make payroll. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> hey there, friend. This is Stephanie Krevins and you are listening to the Mid-Level Leaders Hot Mess Hotline where we have powerful conversations with CEOs and other C-suite executives so that you can learn their hard-earned lessons over the course of their career so you can bring your A-game when it comes to strategy, innovation, and focus to your work and your ambitious career. In today's conversation, we are connecting with David Fisher, my new friend. And I know I, know I say that about all my guests, but David and I just connected on so many different levels. He is such a fantastic human being. I cannot wait for you to meet him. David Fisher is currently the Chief Revenue Officer at Gregory Appel Insurance here in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he leads the organization's sales development and go-to market strategies. My friend, David has more knowledge in his pinky about sales than I could ever dream of having an entire lifetime. This man is unbelievably wicked smart. And the reason he's wicked smart is because he's had some amazing trials in his career, one of which you're going to hear about today. And of course, this is how all of us learn the hard way, but that's also the purpose of this podcast is so that you can learn from David's hard times so that you can maybe move more quickly through your hard times. David has a knack for propelling enterprise value through ethical leadership, innovation, and action. His specialty really is transforming organizations into market leaders that deliver sustained growth and profitability. And he does this all while valuing the, the relationship and the connection that he has with his team and his colleagues and his partners, both internal and external. You know, he really knows how to fuse high energy sales, business development, change management operations with a lifelong work ethic and leadership that he built through the U.S. Marine Corps. So David comes to this work with a high level of discipline and innovation and energy and creativity. So without further ado, Let's dig into David's hot mess so you can learn more about what he's learned too and bring that into your work today. Here we go, my friend. All right, David, tell us about this hot mess in your career, bud. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I had a point in my career after I'd gotten out of the publicly traded companies where I was um, going into the private sector. And I'd spent a period of time where I was an independent consultant. Um, and generally the roles were come in and help a company with something, uh, some kind of transformation or mm-hmm. some kind of problem that they're stuck in. Uh, but simply come in and help them go through a transitional period. And there was a period of time there where I was doing some financial recoveries uh, for some companies. So either A, helping them get back into profitability um, okay. or uh, in even one instances, uh, helping them get out of, uh, out of bankruptcy. Um, and one of those companies I was- Get out with, or avoid bankruptcy or either or? They were headed right toward bankruptcy. Okay. Um, and it was, let's not let it get to that point. Got uh, it. They are already uh, in what they call special assets with the bank. So they're already being very closely watched. Uh, and it was, let's avoid this at all costs. Uh, but all essential purposes, they were already through the process of, hey, if things keep going, they're going to be in a bankrupt situation. Okay. So 
uh, gotten contacted by the bank and they're like, hey, listen, we need somebody to come in there and help give them some guidance, give them some education and see if we can't get this thing turned around. We're pretty concerned. Went through some due diligence, uh, looked at their financials, which were not great. Uh, but I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be pretty interesting. I think we can make some impact and we can help. Um, and got in there and it was my first, uh, first full two weeks with the organization. Uh, we were making some changes. We we're going through some adjustments. We we're identifying where some expenses uh, needed to be controlled. Uh, certainly, as we're looking long term, we had to figure out how we're going to grow this company because you can only expense control so much. Eventually, yes. you've got to grow in order to really make things change. And you have to invest in order to grow. You can't cut your way to growth. You I've heard that before. I mean, I you dropped cannot. out of business school, but I heard that's good, good logic. <laughs> that's good advice to keep because <laughs> that is dead on. Yeah. I mean, you have, you've got to have good expense control. I mean, that goes without saying, right. Yes. But you have got to grow your way out of this thing. And there's no shortcuts that you just simply have to do it. So unfortunately it was our very first payroll that was underneath my leadership. Um, as I was taking this company through this transition, my controller comes in quietly and very carefully shuts the door and comes up to my desk and she's like, so not great news. And I'm like, okay, you know, we've had a, we've had a lot of body blows in the first two weeks here. You know, we just have to embrace it, lean into it. What is it? And she's like, we're not going to make payroll. I went, Ooh, <laughs> not on my watch. We're, we're not going to not make payroll. And I said, all right, that's fine. Take a big breath, cancel my pay. And she's like, well, that's, that's great, but that's not going to help. This, oh. That would be a drop in the bucket. I'm like, okay. And I said, so sit out here. And I looked at the number and I'm like, oh yeah, we're not going to make payroll. I mean, this, it is just a significant number. Um, so we kind of hammered around for a little bit. Uh, Can I pause decided, for just a second? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I want to hear, I want to hear all the gory details here, but why was your go-to and I'm going to frame this up because mid-level leaders are listening in and they never get insight into what happens before they hear some of the more dramatic news. A lot of folks don't understand the variability in cash flow that leads to a lot of stress when it's payroll time in businesses of all sizes and all levels of organizational development. Why was your first response, okay, don't pay me? You know, one, first and foremost, take care of your people. Okay. Um, that's the, that's the very first thing, you know, and I'd certainly say from my education and then, you know, being brought up, uh, as a Marine officer, you know, we eat last as officers, you know, our Marines always eat first. Uh, okay. so I've always carried that with me throughout my career is my needs are secondary to my people's needs. Uh, okay. and at that point I thought, you know, my obligation, my responsibility, you know, I don't have to have my paycheck tomorrow. I'm okay. You know, we're blessed financially. I don't have Bill Gates kind of money, but we're Okay. You know, and if this is going to help foster this, uh, and this is going to make sure that we get through payroll, stop my pay, uh, which we did for a while, which is is not the point. But that was my first inclination. Uh, don't worry about me. Worry about my people, because I know that some people on my staff, undoubtedly, there are people that are probably living check to check to check. And I don't yes. want them to not go without a check. I don't want them to have to go home and not have, you know, fuel in their car. I don't want them to have to go home on the weekend and go... I'm not sure how we're going to get groceries this week. And I don't want that kind of stress for my people. Um, so it was take care of my people first. Okay. And just for context setting, how, how many employees did this company have? You know, at that time we had, uh, gosh, it was just over 120 people. 120 people. Okay. All right. Yep. That's helpful. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah. Keep going, sir. Keep going. So you yeah, so as we started, yeah. News. yeah, great, great question. So we looked into it. So my first reaction was, you know, how do we get out of this? You know, I'll, I want to figure out how did this happen first, but how do we get out of this? Because again, when you're, when you're running payroll, you've got hours to respond and either, A, you got to run the payroll when you can, 
uh, or B, you're not going to make payroll. Um, so kick some ideas around financially as far as just making some adjustments. There was just nothing we could do in order to make payroll. So I got all my sales reps together, did the proverbial rally cry and said, here's where we're at. Do not let this news leave the room. I do not need our entire organization panicked and scared about this, but I need you guys to call everybody, every single one of your customers that is net 30 or otherwise and get any and all money in, offer discounts up to a certain amount. I gave everybody approvals up to go as high as another 8% discount in order to get money in now, but get as much money as we possibly could right now. And I, and I knew, you know, at least from a short-term perspective, that was going to help. Uh, as long as, you know, people participate and were willing to pay early, again, you give them a discount, they will. Mm -hmm. But also in the back of my head, I knew, okay, this is going to come back and bite us in the next four to six weeks, because then we're going to have another scenario where we're not going to have money coming in. But I thought, okay, we'll figure that out later. You know, first and foremost, okay. we got to get this payroll thing taken care of. We got to make sure we at least got some kind of a war chest of money that I can at least start to figure out how do I get through the next six to eight weeks so that we've got ourselves caught up. So all of the sales reps understood where we're at. They were great about it. Everybody called everybody that owed us money. Um, and we did get a fairly substantial amount of money in, which was great. So that gave me the ability yes. to go ahead and not only pay payroll, uh, but then I could sit down with my controller, you know, throughout the next coming days and weeks and go, okay, how do we really start to then plan and make sure this money stretches out as long as possible. Because uh, again, I, I, I knew that that four to six week cliff was coming once we collected all that money, although we were continuing to send out, ship out, sell stuff, we were gonna have a period of time where it was gonna get hard. So yes. as her and I took a look at the expense flow and cash flow, we kind of mapped it out and said, okay, if we go back to all of our vendors and back to everybody that now we owe money to, and we explained to them where we are at, you know, let's find out what happens. So we, we took a look at it, called all of our vendors that we're doing business with. And it's kind of a weird discussion. So me as a new leader in the business and a transformation guy that's coming in, you know, hi, my name's David. I need help. <laughs> you, know, you know, not hi, my name is David. Let's get to know each other a little bit. It was you know, hi, my name is David. I'm taking this organization over. Here's my history. Here's my background. Here's what I'm trying to do. And right now, what I need from you is assistance. Right now, what I need from you is help. You know, so I've asked you guys to, I've asked all of them to work with us and put us on terms so we can elongate the money in which we owe them so that we could then take this war chest of money or this collection of money and stretch it out and make it last as long as we could because they made us pay then either A, I was going to run out of money or B, if I couldn't pay them, and if they cut us off on the supplies, then we're not going to ship anymore. If we can't ship anymore, then we can't sell anymore. If I can't sell anymore, then I can't get more money. Yes. So it was truly one of those things that if I can't get one, it's going to cascade and feed into the other. And I, and I got to tell you, it was, um, it was humbling. I mean, these people didn't know me mm -hmm. from, from anybody. And, yes. and again, it was literally my first call because I'd only been there two weeks, you know, maybe three weeks at that time, by the time I started calling all of our vendors, and saying, hi, I know you don't know me, but here's what I'm trying to do. Here's where we're at. Here's my plan, but I need help. And, and I got to tell you, Stephanie, I was, I was shocked and I was humble. Uh, everybody was willing to work with us. Everybody got it. Everybody understood. And these were smaller businesses like ours, mid-businesses like ours. And in one instance, several instances, these were several large international companies that are publicly traded. And then they all generally got it and they all generally understood and everybody was willing to work with us, but 
but one company, and I'm not going to say the company's name, but the one company, interestingly, interestingly enough, was a globally publicly traded company. And they went, yeah, no, we're not dealing with Oof. this. You, here yeah. are your terms, pay the terms or we're cutting you off. And I'm like, really, <laughs> really? Yeah. They're like, no, we don't, we don't do this. It's nothing against you. We get it. We understand, but we're, we're, that's not what we do. And I'm like, wow. all right, fair enough. But I was, Thanks. I was really humbled on how people responded and how much they were willing to support us. Now, granted, they, they kept me on a leash about that long, right? I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I, and I totally got it. And I was like, I understand. And then once we got that under control, then it was going back to, you know, the sales reps and going, okay, we're getting our expenses under control. We now have a pathway on this thing, but this only lasts so long. We're in a scenario where our expenses are now exceeding the amount of sales that we're bringing in. We got to fix this. We got to grow. So now we've got to really dig in and we've got to figure out how we grow. And we can't do that through product development. We can't do that through new product launch. We can't do that necessarily from new geographies. We're already selling uh, in many instances, we're selling internationally. And plus, we just didn't have the, the, the means necessary to do any investment in those kinds of things. It was, here's our products, here's our services, here's our geography, here's our channels. What do we need to do to figure out how to positively leverage those things as much as we can to catapult our sales? And we've got to grow our way into this thing. Um, and through a period of several months, and what I'm going to call is just good sales hygiene, and good perseverance and unwillingness to back off. We slowly got our sales up. We slowly move our channels up. We slowly got our penetrations up. And I took an organization over uh, that had been unprofitable for the first five months. Uh, when I took the organization over my first month, I did not drive a profit. I just couldn't stop the bleeding fast enough. Uh, but every month after that, uh, we actually drove a profit. So we finally got to the point where wow. our revenues coming in were starting to exceed the amount of expenses that we had in place. So I felt at that point, I'm got, I've got my expenses under control. Uh, new sales are starting to generate. New sales are now starting to go over on top of my expenses. So we're managing it. And every month, our profitability got a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Uh, to the point where we were actually going to be profitable for the year. Not much, but we were going to be profitable for the year. So I wrote it away. That's amazing. Five months worth of deficits, six months of deficits with my one month of deficit in place, five months or six months of then profitability coming to play and we made it up. So I went up to the bank and I knew that the answer was going to be, but I, you know, the old Wayne Gretzky model of I miss hundred percent of the shots I didn't take. Uh, I went up to the bank and said, Hey, we're going to be profitable. And I said, I've got things in play but I need more money. Uh, I, need, I need you to extend out my line of credit. I need you to give me more funds to, to build into this thing. Uh, and I knew what the answer was going to be, but again, I had to ask. She very bluntly said, no, <laughs> this, is, this is great. I love what you're doing. Uh, and you've showed us in a, in a six-month period that you guys can be profitable. Now do this for the next 12 months into this next year. And a year from now, if you are still profitable and you are still running the way that you are and you now continue to grow the way that you are, we'll talk about what an expansion looks like. But at this point, no way. We, we, we need to see that the disciplines that you are putting in place, the initiatives that you have now started, we need to make sure that you guys can adhere to these things and stay to these things throughout the entire year. So I thought, okay, fair enough. So we extended where we were right now. No more line of credit, no more new money coming in other than what we could do for revenue. Went mm -hmm. back to my team and said, okay, guys, great start. Great way to, to hunker down and get things moving for the, 
final six months of the year. Uh, now what we got to do is we've got to demonstrate we can do this for four consecutive quarters in a row moving forward into our new year. So continue to work with your channel partners, continue to work with your vendors, continue to work with our retail arms, um, and let's continue to scale and grow this thing as much as we can. And again, we couldn't do a whole lot of product, new product development at that point, uh, but we could at least start to think about once we got out of this, where and how and what would expansion look like for us, both from a product sense, as well as uh, potential new geographies for us as well. Um, so again, that's that was a, a pretty heart-shattering uh, first two weeks, uh, a pretty hard discovery and conversation to have with my controller. Uh, but I uh, again, I couldn't have been more proud of the way the team reacted uh, from mm -hmm. let's not panic, let's not you know go out of this room with our hair on fire and panic everybody. Let's be controlled and measured about our approach on this thing. And let's be very thoughtful, intentional about what we're trying to do with our money and our expenses and our growth moving forward. So it was certainly, uh, certainly heart shattering for us to go through that. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, it was, it was great to see how the team reacted and really great to see how our partners reacted and were willing to work with us by and large. Yes. Oh my gosh. So Great synopsis. So let me repeat back what I heard, like kind of this process that you went through and make sure I got it right. You know, first question you asked yourself is how do we get out of this? And you went to lean onto your sales in a very confidential way to collect as much money as quickly as possible. You leaned on your vendors to slow down the rate that the cash was going out. You then yep. went back to your sales team and said, guys, we got to use what we got. We got to increase. We can't bring in new products. We can't bring in the next shiny thing that we think will save the company. All we got is all we got. We got to leverage it and turn it into even more of an asset and growth for our company. And then you went to your vendors and said, all right, here's the situation I'm in. I need your help, y'all. I need your help both short-term and a little bit longer, um, including to the bank where you were able to prove yourself, but they still said no. You said, all right, let, let us continue to prove ourselves and we will come back and ask for more again. Great synopsis. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and then, you know, the, the, the next level question that you can't exactly answer in the moment, but how do we prevent this again, both this next quarter and the next five quarters afterwards? I'm curious, you know, in that moment when you went to go lean on sales and you went to go lean on your vendors, what other options were spinning around in your head about things you could do? You know, it's always that Peru, you got you to be able to control the controllables. Um, okay. So I knew what we could do as far as what we had control of. And that was, you know, sell the assets and sell the products that we've got in our quiver today. Don't worry about the use of that next shiny object. So use the tools that we have today, use the resources we have today, use mm -hmm. them and maximize them as much as we possibly can. That's all underneath our control. You know, yes, yeah, sales is somewhat of an ambiguous thing. And sometimes you can do all the right things in sales and still not get the result that you want. That's sales. And I, and, and certainly understand that and get that and have been, you know, benefited from that. And also there are times when that comes back and bites you, but again, ultimately oh, yeah. in sales, we control that by going out and initiating, going out and providing, going out and presenting, and then getting that acceleration of new revenues coming to play. That is highly controllable by our actions. You know, sales is a numbers game, not only by the mere fact that you got to hitting certain numbers, but if you do the right things from a sales hygiene perspective and you do those right things consistently that have proven to get you sales, there's no surprise what happens when you do those right things consistently. That's right. Sales <laughs> we do control those things. Now, I didn't have 100% control of how the, our, 
vendors were going to react. And like I said, it was very humbling um, by and large how they did react. I had no idea how they were going to, and I didn't control that. I mean, I could go through and, and mea copa all I wanted to and, and explain what my intentions were, explain what my initiatives were, explain what my strategy was. And they could ultimately say, no, I don't have control over that. But if I don't ask, and if I don't at least put it out there, yes. then that uncontrollable is absolutely uncontrollable because the answer is no. Um, and like I said, by and large, people understood. I mean, these are other business owners. These are other business leaders and they're other humans. They get it. Um, you know, if I would have come to them and said, hey, my name is David. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm going to go do, but I need help. They'd be like, yeah, not a good answer. You know, but if you come to them and go, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's my plan. Here's my intention. Here's what I'm thinking is going to happen, yes. but I need some runway. They got it. They understood. Um, yes. So again, you got to be able to control the controllables. And then on the uncontrollables you have, you got to try to put barriers on them as much as you can and bound them as much as you can. So you at least get some control of those uncontrollables that you don't necessarily have in your wheelhouse. Um, and again, like I said, by and large, people were pretty understanding and they got it. Uh, and I'm sure some of them also looked at it because I remember <laughs> one of them was pushing back and I had to be pretty curt with them. I went, well, listen, and I said, here's the deal. You're the help us or we stop and then we don't pay. And I said, and if we don't pay, we go under and then we go bankrupt and then you're going to get pennies on the dollar. So we've got one of two options. You can either help me and we can figure this out together and you stand a chance of not only getting all the money that we owe you, it's just going to take a little bit longer, but I'm going to still need supplies from you. So I'm going to keep buying from you and then you're going to get more revenue as well. And I said, but if you really hunker down and you say no, we both lose. And I said, because we're probably going to fold and then you're going to mm. get pennies on the dollar and what we owe you. So I said, Ooh, so yes. I get it. And he begrudgingly, he's like, yeah, you're right. Kind of yeah. an asshole move, but you, I understand what you're doing. Yeah. And, and he begrudgingly said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to stick with you. But again, you got a really short leash, which I, I got, mm. uh, which I totally got. Yeah. Well, that that's such an important lesson. And I've certainly learned this uh, for myself is if you negotiate on the long game, there's always a win-win. If you negotiate in the minute, it could look like a win-lose on either side. But if you're negotiating three, five, 10 years out, you found the win-win. And yep. in this case, the win-win was avoiding bankruptcy. Not awesome, but that's way better than 10 years down the line, them collecting pennies on the dollar when they could have you know, developed a relationship and increased their revenues even further. Yeah, you're dead on. Absolutely. Okay. And, they, and again, it certainly also helps, you know, it helps strip the emotion out of it, right? I mean, if you're making yes. decisions solely on right now, based yes. on what's happening right now. Um, yes. And again, your, your propensity to react emotionally and make decisions emotionally, which generally are not great decisions are also a way to fuse in. If you can go, okay, this is a really bummer situation. I get it. And right mm -hmm. now this sucks. This, there's just no shortcut about it. this sucks. Okay. Let's think about how we get out of this. You're enabled to go back and go, okay, okay, there is a way for us to get out of this. This is super uncomfortable right now. This is super ugly right now, but working our way through this, it starts to bring peace. It starts to bring mindset. It starts to bring intentionality. It starts to bring that understanding of, okay, we're going to be okay. It's going to, it's going to be uncomfortable. We can get through this. Uh, if you're making decisions solely right now, right now, right now, tend to be much more emotionally based decisions, which I will tell you have a tendency to not be the best decisions. Yes. And just thinking about your ability to turn this company around in, in essence, six quarters, 
how long did it take them to get to the point to bring you in? Like what was the decline period? And then in comparison yeah, to was, your was, upcline period? Yeah, it was about four. It probably started over about four years uh, yeah. of just slow erosion, right? And it's never one of those things that I shouldn't say never. It's typically not one of those things where all of a sudden, oh my God, we've cut an artery and this thing dies in six minutes. It's usually, okay, not a great year. Okay, not a great year. <laughs> and just not paying attention and not you know, looking at the details, not managing expenses, not paying attention to what the growth is going to look like, not managing your vendor relationships and, and the costing that goes in place. So really, I think it, it was a series of just kind of slow bleeds, slow bleeds, slow bleeds. And all of a sudden you get to the point, you know, where probably that fourth and final year, they're like, oh, oh my God, well, now we're, we're so out in front of our skis. Now we can't stop this thing. And again, then unfortunately they had a series of leaders in there that just didn't take the right kind of action that needed to be taken action. And sometimes those actions are uncomfortable. So again, it, it wasn't, and nor is my experience tell me that it's typically not one of those things that it's a single event, you mm -hmm. know, short-term event that, you know, that hits it. It's a series of bad decisions. It's a series of poor leadership. It's a series of poor planning or lack of planning and lack of execution that got people into the situation they're in whether it be personally or professionally, you know, I'd say, mm -hmm. you know, typically when people are in trouble in their own personal lives, it's usually not one thing in their life. It's a series of bad decisions. It's a series mm -hmm. of not doing the right things. It's a series of getting caught in this scenario of just not getting out of it. And I think people and organizations get to that point where they keep digging the hole, digging the hole, digging the hole, digging the hole. And now I don't know how to get out of it. Um, yes. And it, and it takes somebody with a very different mindset or sometimes it takes somebody that has not, been involved and not, you know, weighed down with all the dirt and all the digging to go, okay, we can get our way out of this, but we've got to do something very dramatic and very different. Okay. And sometimes very dramatic, very different takes an entirely new person or sets of leaders just to look at the problem from a new perspective. Absolutely. Like you did. Yep. Okay. Before we go to commercial break, one last question about your mindset, your actions during that time, what were you doing to stay humble, transparent, detached, you know, not making emotional decisions. What were you doing for yourself as a leader so that you could be present to what the company needed in the long term? You know, I'd say there were there were two things from a you know from an external facing point of view. You know, going out within the organization and being present uh, and being very visible as a leader in the organization. I thought it was very very important for the entire team. You know, because again, maybe not everybody knew all of the horrid details that were happening behind the financials on it. I even had to tell my, my controller at that time, we need to go out and we need to be present and we need to be showing confidence, you know, throughout the entire organization. If they see me panicking, if they see me running around with my hair on fire, if they see me, you know, yelling and screaming and getting upset and which I don't generally do anyway, you yeah. know, but if I don't exude confidence and I don't exude calm, they're not going to also be confident in what we're trying to do. So it was very you know, very important for me to go out and yeah, be transparent where we are at to a certain extent, you know, because as a privately held company, we don't share all financials, but say, yeah, where we're in right now is not great, but there's a pathway out. Here's what we're trying to do organizationally and be confident in which we are explaining the tone of the initiatives and the strategies and our plans in place to get us where we need to go. And again, going back, because we talked about very at the very start, making sure that their needs are being taken care of, you know, and, mm. I, and I would do that selfishly, you know, one, did not want mass exodus of the organization. You know, I didn't yeah. want them all leaving. I needed them. Um, and I also wanted them comfortable that, 
you know, okay, my paycheck is coming. You know, David's got that covered. He's got our back. He's going to make sure that we're, we're continuing to get that pay. Uh, and whether yes. or not they really knew that that was, you know, that close to the edge, I'm not sure. You know, organizations have ears and people talk, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm sure some of that got out. But I also didn't want them panic that, oh, my God, my personal needs and my needs of my family are maybe not going to be taken care of. Because, again, if they've got that weight on their shoulders and they've got that concern, they're going to come to work and they're not going to be able to perform as well as I need them to perform. You know, so I need them confident that they've got a leader that is calm, a leader that is self is confident, a leader that has got a plan and an intentionality and we're executing to plan. I need them to understand that I do have their best interests in place um, so that I first and foremost will take care of them so that when they're coming to work, they're coming to work very mindful and they're coming to work their best version of themselves so that I get the best performance out of all of them. Um, and then I would say just for me personally, you know, I, you know, I, I believe in, you know, you've got to take that time and that stock for yourself. So I work out pretty consistently. So I would make sure that I find that time to do that. You know, that's my meditation time. That's my mm -hmm. thinking time. That's my digest time. You know, I even needed to make sure that I'm the best version of myself in my house, you know, with my family, you know, and my yes. wife can tell when I'm getting itchy or she can tell when I'm getting agitated. You know, there've been many times where she's come to me and said, here's your bike shoes and here's your bike helmet. You need to get out of the house because you're not very nice right now and you need to yes. go. So I know that that's very good for me. So I try not to, although certainly I was stressed and certainly I was concerned. I also made sure I had time for myself because uh, if I only focused on what we're doing right there, yeah, you can do that for short periods of time. Yes. Anybody has, you know, varying degrees of endurance, both emotionally as well as physically, mm. but you've also got to take the time to care for yourself. Cause if you don't come on board and if I didn't come in as the best version of myself, as I possibly could come in every day, personally, as well as professionally, you know, again, the organization is going to start to road and people are going to start to see that. So I, 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 even today, I carry that to, to make sure that I do find time for myself throughout the day and throughout the week to also feed me, you know, and also re-energize me and also feed my soul. Uh, Cause again, if I don't do that, then I can't be the best leader for my people. And that's what my, and that's what my teams deserve. They deserve the best version of me. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and let's talk about all the magical lessons that you learned <laughs> because uh, you chose to engage yourself in a very difficult situation. This season of the Hot Mess Hotline is brought to you by my Hot Mess Quiz. One of the common lessons that my clients learn during coaching is how to really evaluate a problem, dissect it for clarity, and then take action on the tasks that really move the needle. The Hot Mess Quiz can bring you that focus too. As a leader, your work life is full of, well, work. But according to Pareto, 80% of that work isn't even impactful. If you need to create growth and change, you need to focus in on what truly matters and what will drive new results. Take the hot mess quiz by clicking on the link below, which is stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. You know, just like this podcast promise, and this is in the real world too, what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? That's what you're going to get in this report. It's going to be tailored to your business hot mess to tell you exactly where to focus your efforts first, and then how to bring your team along to get the change that you need to create. Go to stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. Don't wait another minute to start becoming the pro troublemaker you've always wanted to be. You have had 
an even more successful career. And I'm going to guess because you went through something really hard because this controller came in. Well, first, because you accepted the responsibility of helping this company, a controller came in and said, we can't make payroll in less than two weeks. We got to figure this out. As a leader now, what are the lessons that you took through that time that inform how you show up now? Yeah, I would say it was, you know, not only important, you know, what I've taken moving forward, you know, from that experience and from that opportunity. Uh, but I'd also say it was really important on the experiences that I had leading up to that point that, you know, I'm going to say force me to react the way that I did or force me to make decisions the way, mm. you know, that I had, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty risk tolerant. You know, I, I enjoy the pressure. I enjoy the leadership. You know, I'd say from a very young adult life, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be in leadership. You know, I'd probably say that's mm. why, I, you know, went into the Marine Corps as an officer because I knew I wanted to, to lead. And then certainly in the Marine Corps, you know, as with all the militaries, you know, as a, as a young officer, you're given, you know, immediate leadership opportunities um, and you got to grow those and you got to hone those and you got to, you got to really pay attention to what you're doing. So once I got out of the Marine Corps and then got into the civilian world, even in the publicly traded companies I worked with, I generally looked for the higher pressure roles, the higher pressure job, the higher visibility jobs, because uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, that's what drives me. Uh, that's what excites me. Uh, that's what gets me going up in the morning. So I never, I never shied away from the challenging roles, the challenging tasks, uh, or the challenging opportunities, because that's what I like. Uh, and that's not out of bravado. That's not out of beating my chest. That's just what I like. And everybody, you know, mm -hmm. has different things that gets them excited. I know one of the times I was speaking to one of my daughters and she's talking to me about my job and she's like, oh my God, that sounds horrific. I would never want to do your job. And I'm like, well, what you do sounds horrific. <laughs> you know, because she goes to a cubicle, she analyzes data, she puts data in a spreadsheet and she goes away. And I'm like, oh my God, oh, I can't yeah. imagine. She's like, that's my happy place, dad. I wouldn't ever want to do your job. So again, I, I've always taken that and everybody gets excited and everybody gets intrigued and everybody gets energy from different things that they do. So yeah, I would say, you know, leading into this role, I knew it was going to be a high pressure role purely bear the fact that they were not in the greatest financial situation, but that was okay. You know, and I, and I took that on generally knowing it was going to be a high pressure role, high pressure task. Um, and we needed to do some pretty dramatic things. Now, I didn't realize it right away that we, we were not going to be able to make payroll without doing some certain things. But again, I, I went into that role knowing and understanding, you know, it was going to take some pretty strong leadership and pretty strong presence to, to get those things. And it was going to be pretty high pressure, all of which I enjoy. Um, and then certainly moving forward, as I've continued down this path of working with organizations, going through some kind of transformation, you know, some kind mm. of resurgence, some kind of we want to do things differently, David, than we have. So we want you to come on board and help us through that. And there's been varying degrees of transition. You know, some of them have been financial transitions. Some of them have been sales transitions. Some of them have been uh, generational transitions of leadership. Some of them have mm. been we simply just want to be a different kind of organization. What does that look like and feel like? come in and help us go through those things. So I would say, even as I move forward from that one opportunity, I have looked for opportunities that are typically, I would say, higher pressure, higher risk, because that's what I enjoy. Uh, that's again, that's what gets me excited. That's what gets me engaged. You know, when I'm bored and I'm not uh, being challenged, you know, I don't think I'm the best version of myself. When I'm being challenged, I got to really yes. think. I got to really re you know, respond to the things that are happening. And I really got to put plans and intentionality in place. Um, so those things, again, help me be the best version of myself and help me be 
very engaged and very present with not only what we do, what do we need to do today, but making sure the things that we're doing today are the stepping stones that make us a better organization, a better team, a better something mm-hmm. in the next coming days, weeks, months, quarters, and years. Yes. You know, I can't help but think about the disconnect between what you and other top leadership in the company knew and your salespeople too, you know, during that time that yep. you can't share with the entire organization. You, you just, you can't, right. You can be transparent no. to a certain degree, but that's, that's kind of cruel to let people know that their paycheck is, you know, we need you to work, but your paycheck is actually in jeopardy. Um, and I've heard this lesson from multiple companies over the years. Like if employees really knew what was going on behind the scenes, it's just a different ball game, but what do you want? What do you want those folks that have to be out of the inner circle for, I mean, just very real, reasons, what do you want them to know about what it means to, to be at your level and have to make the decisions that you have to make to protect them, the company, their paychecks, partners at a variety of, you know, in a variety of ways, what do you, what do you want them to know? You know, a multifaceted question there. So I'd say, Mm -hmm. you know, on the, on the first part of it, you know, what do I want my teams to know and what it, what's appropriate for them to know, you know, so I always told them, I said, I will be as transparent as I possibly can, you know, we're a privately held company. So even before, and then other private organizations I've worked with, I said, and there are some instances where I'm not going to be, you know, this hundred percent transparent because you're not an owner <laughs> and yes. the owner, this is private. So I'm not going to share all the financials with you. So I, I certainly came into that, into that organization with the same understanding as well. I will be transparent, you know, as transparent as I possibly can be, you know, minus, you know, I'm not going to hide integrity issues. You know, that's a, that's, that's a totally different side of the equation and there is no gray area in integrity. You either have integrity or you do not. So we're not talking about transparency of integrity. We're talking about transparency, the appropriate amount of information that you're supposed to have Mm -hmm. in the role in which you play in the role in which you participate. So as I take a look at that one, it would have been, Highly inappropriate for me to share, you know, privately held company, deep understanding of financials. It's just not appropriate. And then secondly, you know, I would take a look at that and go, what would be the benefit and what would be the purpose of telling somebody on the front line? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make your paycheck in the next two weeks. What's the, what's the benefit of doing that? You know, I, I could share that, but the, the ramifications of that are not good. You know, again, you know, go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, part of my role and part of the most important things I can do is take care of my people, take care of my team, you know, and that's not taking care of them, you know, yeah, did I share with them? We're not in great situations, guys, this is not fun. And and we've got some things that we need to do. So I'm going to need you to step up. I need you to work. I need you to deliver. I need you to come in and really help us drive because we're not in a great spot. You know, that's different than coming in and going, oh, hey, Steph. I'm not sure you're going to get a paycheck next week, but let's hunt it down. Because right. now you're going, oh my God, I'm going to do all this work. I might not even get paid. Oh my God, my kids have got food. Oh my God, my kids have got lunch money. Oh my God, I'm not going to have a fuel to get in. And now they're panicked and now they're worried. Again, now they're going to come in with a whole host of other things scrambling around up in their head. High propensity of making mistakes on that point. High propensity of snapping each other at that point. High propensity to have anxiety coming at that point high chance that they're going to come in and not have a great personal life as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, now they're going to be snapping at their kids or be snapping at their spouses, or they're just going to leave the organization 
not in a good place. And then ultimately they're probably also be going, well, if I'm not sure I'm getting a paycheck, I'm going to go to an organization where I'm a little more confident I'm getting a paycheck and now they're gone. So I do have yes. to weigh that out as a leader and going, yeah, I want to be transparent. I want to be very honest to what we're trying to do, but I will share the amount of information I need to share with you that's appropriate for your role. And then me yeah. as a leader, think that it's also appropriate to get the best out of you, not from a lack of integrity or not from a hiding information. But again, that just wouldn't have been great information to share with them because the benefits, you know, that would have come out of it would have been nothing. Um, so don't share that kind of information because it only is going to make the situation worse. And then, yes. you know, as a leader, you got to have confidence and sometimes making those decisions to not share all information, not because you're trying to be sneaky or you're trying to be, you know, coy about it. It's just not appropriate to share. Yeah, that makes sense. And what I'm hearing in, in how you respond is that you have to think about the impact about how, of how your message lands. And for, let's say, you know, a frontline or like that marketing coordinator, it would be more harmful to tell her, him or her, Hey, we don't know if we can make the next payroll because she can't control that, but it sends her into that mental tailspin. But what she can control is, Hey, we're, you know, the company's not in a great place. And here's, here's the position that we're in from a product and placement and, you know, the marketing four P's here. What are the parts you can control of that? What are the parts you can focus on to help us be impactful? Same message or same message gets communicated. The impact is way different. Um, because, and I put this in my note, like you need transparency for the role that you're in. I think that's very yep. powerful. You don't need transparency for the company. You need no. transparency and how it impacts the role that you're in way different messaging for, to consider, I should say for that person. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's what I was looking at right now. I tell people, you know, even today, you can ask me any question you want to. And the answer I may give you is no, or the answer I may give you is I'm not going to answer that. But that's, that's going to be the transparent answer. You can yes. ask me anything. Yes. I love that. That makes so much sense. Cause I think in the modern workplace, there is something about transparency that we've over-indexed on, you know, millennials expected in the workplace, a, diff a different kind of transparency than Gen Xers and baby boomers. And what we, what they interpreted it as, as is, as we should know everything in the company. And there's a frustration on that side. And so leaders in an effort to give in have started giving out information that they shouldn't. And so mm -hmm. your notion of, you can ask me any question, my door is open and yes. I don't have to, to answer it. Like there is freedom on both sides that we both, and freedom and discretion that we both need to use here. Yeah. And I would say, you know, by and large though, if somebody asked me a question and I don't think it's an appropriate question for me to respond to, or it's going to, or the answer that I'm going to give is, is not what I think is appropriate. I, I generally have enough ammunition that I can also explain why I'm not going to share that information with you. Again, you can ask me, yes. but by and large, I also tell you why I'm not going to share that with you. And I, and I make no bones about it. And I do agree with you that there's a propensity, I think, with some of the younger generation going, we should know everything. No, you shouldn't. No, no, you shouldn't. I agree. So last couple of questions here. I'll let you get back onto your busy day and let our mid-level leaders put all these amazing lessons into, into practice. What do you wish mid-level leaders would do to support the organization, especially during tough times? You know, I think one of the most important things that, you know, mid-level leaders can do because they're going to have access uh, to some parts of information that the frontline doesn't have, but yet they're not going to have all the information that maybe the executives have. So it's, uh -huh. 
you know, first and foremost, you know, have faith, trust, and confidence in your senior leadership and your executive leadership that they're making the right decisions um, with the information that they have at hand. You know, I'd also ask them, give your executives and give your senior leaders grace. You know, don't forget we're humans. Yes. You know, don't forget, by and large, we're all trying our best as well. We're trying to make decisions just like you are as well. I don't have superpowers. I'm not, you know, a guy flying around. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather. I'm, I'm a person working in the world just like you. Uh, and I'm making decisions, you know, just like you. But have confidence in me. And have trust in me that I'm I'm making those decisions with the information I have at hand. I'm making the best decisions that I can with the information I have at hand. With that, though, as a mid-level leader, it's okay to ask questions. And, and I want you to ask questions. And I also want you to have the courage to push back. Uh, and it's okay as a mid-level leader to challenge, right? And, and again, as a senior leader, as an executive, you know, I always implore my people, it's okay for you to push back on me. Uh, and matter of fact, I want you to, if you don't, you're not doing your job. You have insights that I don't have. I might have access to information that you don't have, but you have access to things that are happening in the organization on a daily, weekly basis that I don't. You know the nuances and you know some of the details that I just don't have. So I may make a decision of something up here without fully understanding the impacts of my decision being felt down here. And I need you to make sure that if I'm making a decision that I think is right for the organization, and you don't think it's going to have the impacts or you think it's going to have worst case scenario, negative consequences, you have to push back. You know, the worst thing you can do yes. is come back three weeks later and go, yeah, I knew that was going to land horribly, David. Okay. Now that's your responsibility. That's your fault, you know, but yes. have the courage to push back and have the courage to go, David, I, I, maybe I don't understand why you're making this decision, but here's what I think is going to happen if we do this. Great. Let's talk that through. So either a, we go, wow, that was a blind spot. Boy, we would have really stepped in that landmine. Thank you. Or we go, okay, great question. Great answer. Let's go through this and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, okay. I think we're going to be okay here. But at least then we've got that common understanding. So to kind of summarize it, I'd say, give your senior leaders and your executives grace. Yes. Understand that they're humans and they're making decisions with the information that they have and they're making those decisions the best that they possibly can. But also understand that you as a mid-level leader need to challenge appropriately and respectfully, of course, but you need to challenge your leaders and ask questions of leaders to make sure that you're all collectively working in that same vein. Because the worst thing you can do as a mid-level leader, go, yeah, I knew that car was headed for the cliff. I didn't say anything. Mm, that's shame on you. Yes, absolutely. Beyond challenging their senior leaders with respect and the best interests of the company in mind, what, what are other ways that mid-level leaders can learn to stand out so that one day they can also be in your shoes? Yeah, I would say, you know, and something I give anybody that reports up to me is, you know, I want to know what your career aspirations and goals are. So I challenge everybody, you know, I want you to think out 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, you may not know the industry, you may not know the specific role, you may not know the specific organization that you're going to be in, but what does your career path look like? And what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm still trying to figure that out as well. So that a, we can do a couple of things. One, I can have a really good understanding of how I can best support your efforts. I can help best support your professional development because that's very different. If I know that my, you know, if I know that my VP of marketing eventually wants to be a CMO, I can help that person guide their career, give them opportunities within my organization that I'm wanting that give them the stepping stones to then lead to being a CMO. And that's very different than somebody saying, you know what, 
I love what I'm doing right here, but I eventually want to open up my own ad agency. I eventually want to open up my own marketing firm. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yes. Now let me, let me realign these opportunities to give you exposure to maybe people that I know that have, you know, gone out on their own, done the proverbial hanging the shingle up on the front door. And let me give you exposure to that. And I don't, I don't shy away from that. And, I, and again, I take a pretty progressive look at the way that teams work together. And I'm always pretty upfront with my people and saying, Hey, let's look around at our team today. And I, and I physically have them look and go, the probability that we're all going to be together in this room in the next five to seven years is infantilely small for yes. a myriad of different reasons, right? Yes. We live yes. in a workforce and we live in a world where people don't stay with organizations for 20 years. So me as a senior leader, I have one of two things that I can do with that. I can either pretend that that doesn't exist or I can look at that and go, let's embrace that. And let's mm -hmm. understand that me as a senior leader, if you eventually want to be a CMO and I've got a CMO opportunity and we can grow into have a CMO position for you, great, let's figure that out. Let's keep you engaged here. If we look at it and go, man, we don't have a CMO opportunity for you or that doesn't work, what are you going to do? You're going to leave. Mm -hmm. So I've got one or two ways I can react. I can either be a resource for you and I can be an asset for you and I can be a catalyst for you to help you grow your career. So when it is time for you to leave the organization, you come to me very proactive and go, hey, David, I think in the next six months, I'm going to start transitioning out because I want to leave because I do want to be a CMO. I'd be like, great, totally get it and understand it. How can I help? How can yes. I be a reference for you? How can I help you get to that role? And then in that same tune, now I need to start looking for a new leader and you're not going to come to me on Monday and go, here's my two week notice. Whoa, what? And now I'm panicked and stricken. So yes. if I know and understand what you're trying to do as a career, I can make sure I'm supporting that career. I can make sure that I'm aligning the tasks that I'm giving you. I can make sure I'm aligning the responsibility you're giving you to line up toward your career and what you want, whether it be a leader whether it be a sole proprietor or whether it be an individual contributor, all of which is okay, all of which organizations need. But if I don't understand that, how am I supposed to put positions in front of you and opportunities in front of you that are most interesting and engaging for you? Because if I put somebody in a leadership role that doesn't want to be a leader, not healthy, not good, not constructive, not developmental, that's, that's, right. that's terrifying for that person. But if I know they want to be the best account manager they can possibly be. Now I know that. Now I can make sure that they get continuing education that helps them continue to improve, be better, be more intentional, be smarter, get more licensing, do all the things that they can be the best account manager in the whole world. They don't want to be leader of account managers. They want to be the best account manager in the whole world. That's awesome. And now I got their support. Yes. Oh, yes. And I, I keep going to if you know their career aspirations and let's say it is to go out on their own from what I know about freelancers and entrepreneurs, if you do that transition, right. Speaking to the mid-level leader, your current employer should be your first client. You should be able yes. to transition that relationship to help build your business. Um, if you navigate that in partnership with, with your boss, with your leader, that's how yeah. it should go down. You are exactly right. And, and again, I, I see it starting to shift and people getting a little more progressive about that, mm -hmm. um, but we're not there yet. You're right. It should be a very open dialogue and a very open conversation. I know every organization I've come to as I've been a senior leader, you know, I presented this, you know, this mindset of understanding of let's all acknowledge and agree that we're all trying to move our careers, but let's understand how we can collectively support and help each other. It doesn't have to be this Hey, Stephanie, it's Monday morning. Um, yeah, we don't need you or your role anymore. So today's your last day. 
That's horrific. That's that's horrible. Yes. Right. For a myriad and multitude of reasons, you and I could have a separate show on. And that's just as disruptive. Like I said, you come in and go, hey, David, this has been awesome. I love working for you, but I got two weeks. Whoa. How am I supposed to find somebody in two weeks? Yes. Yeah. But if we talk about it as adults and we talk about it as respected peers and colleagues and professionals and go, Stephanie, I want to support your career. I want to help you grow. That's that's one of the most important things I can do as a senior leader is help support your career so that your career development goes. Yeah. Because if I don't, you're going to leave anyway. So what I'd rather do is let's have a let's have an engaging professional conversation. And when it's time for you to leave, you give me the runway to find in your replacement. I give you the support that you need to go move, move into your next role in a very smooth, diligent, thoughtful transition. To me, that makes a whole lot more sense. Oh gosh, yeah. Gonna, the transition is going to happen one way or another. So let's let's react to it well and positively together and not yep. spring, spring these new ideas on each other. Oh gosh. Yeah. And what's calling to mind for me now too, is we need to hold leaders accountable because that's a, that's a business disruption. That's preventable, right? Like your power going out, your internet going out, that's not exactly preventable. You can crisis manage around that, but people transitioning out as a leader, that should be your responsibility um, from a business continuity perspective. Like you're creating that disruption because you're not helping manage people's careers and their relationship with the organization. Correct. And, and you should, as a leader, and then within your leaders underneath you, create an environment where your staff feels comfortable coming to you and saying, I'm thinking about a transition. Okay. Okay. That doesn't mean, you know, hair's on fire and screaming and yelling. That means, okay, help me understand that what do you need from me and how can I help? Because again, yes. if I ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist, you're going to leave. If we act as two adults and two peers and professionals, you're going to mm-hmm. leave, but now we're going to leave in a much more controlled fashion. And actually, yes. I would tell you, even recently this week, uh, I had a leader come up to me and say, hey, we've got one of our strongest individual contributors saying, hey, I'm thinking about a transition. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome that she has enough faith, trust, and confidence in you to come and share that with you. Now let's talk about how, what do we need to do potentially keep her engaged? Yep. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh, David, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom and your humility. I mean, it's just, it's a breath of fresh air, but it's also just so fun to talk with leaders like you who want what's best for companies, people, and then, you know, it comes back as, as the good karma to help you create a life that you want to. It does. Well, thank you for having me. This is this has yeah. been a blast. It's always a it's always fun speaking with you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. All right, my friend. Wasn't that a heck of a doozy that David got himself into? He didn't even know it. I mean, what a huge problem to solve within those first few weeks of a new organization making payroll. So, I want to share with you my top takeaways from our conversation and wherever you're watching or listening in, would you share yours too because We can learn from you just as much as we can learn from from my insights. And so we want to hear from you. Wherever you're watching and listening in, just put a note in the comments for us so we can get a sense of of what you're getting out of these conversations. So here are my top takeaways. Two powerful questions to ask yourself and your team when the shit hits the fan. One, how do we get out of this problem right now? How do we get out of it? And then the follow-up question after you figure out how to get out of it is two, how do we prevent it from happening again? Don't ask them simultaneously. Don't ask prevention, the prevention question before you ask how to get out of this problem now. 
there is an order that makes sense. One, how do we get out of this problem now? After you've solved the immediate fire, answer the question, how do we prevent that problem from happening again? So move from firefighter into fire strategist, if you will. You know, the other thing that I love about David's approach to leadership is just being able to have a very open conversation with all of his direct reports about where they want to go in their career. And it doesn't matter if they want to go with the company or with David their entire career, you know, chances are pretty slim in today's workforce that that's going to be the case. Keep that door open, keep having that conversation so you can share with your manager where you want to be in the future so your manager can support you. And I hope that you have a leader like David who wants to know the answer to your long-term questions. And if not, I would encourage you to be brave and share that anyway. Chances are very likely you're not going to get fired. I know I have a lot of folks that that kind of fear that and fear like, well, gosh, if I tell my boss that, then I'm going to get fired. Frankly, I've never seen that happen, but I don't want to say never. I literally just got off the phone call, got off the phone, or I got off a Zoom this morning with a woman who is planning her exit very gracefully. She has been very open with her manager saying, I'm going to put these people in place and then I'm going to exit the organization because now is my time. And I want that gracefulness for you in your career as well. So be bold and ask for what you want out of your career, which means taking the time to know what you want out of your career before sharing that with your boss, because your boss can't give you something that he or she doesn't know that you want. I love hearing David's process for transparency and problem solving. And I wrote down these steps. If you want to write these down too, you know, when he had to go to his partners and say, I need help. Here's what he said. One, here's my plan. Two, here's how I need help. Three, he proved themselves after they worked that plan, right? He had to go back to the bank and ask for money when, when it was a really precarious time for his organization to be asking for money. But he proved himself in a short amount of time and went to ask for what he need. Now he didn't get it. He still got the no, but he, they still kept going. They still kept proving themselves and then went back to ask again. So many people love that first time no, stop them dead in their tracks. David never let that stop them in their tracks. They kept proving themselves until they could get a yes. Rinse and repeat, ask, prove yourself, ask, prove yourself, and turn those quick wins into long-term wins. And that's the secret to building momentum, to building that, building that flywheel of success that Jim Collins teaches us about, is turning quick wins into long-term wins by asking, proving yourself, asking, proving yourself, getting more resources. That's a way to enter the flywheel. So my friend, oh, so many great takeaways from this conversation. I want to hear yours. And then also my second ask is, is if you're getting value from these conversations, I want you to get them as soon as possible. Sign up for our newsletter so that you get these delivered to your inbox as soon as they're ready. So you can listen in and apply those lessons starting the next day. All right, my friend, let's get off the internet. Let's be pro troublemakers that cause a good kind of change and get really impactful, important, helpful, future-oriented work done, and I'll see you next time.